In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, from the wisdom of Solomon in the apocryphal books between Old and New Testaments, we get this curious image of holy wisdom sitting at the gate. I'm imagining her about 15 years old, perched up on a wooden picket gate in the front yard, hinges creaking as she swings her knees, heels tapping against peeling paint. Unlike the fence, which has seen better days, she is radiant and unfading. She waits to balance there with a summertime, school's out, waiting that isn't quite listless or bored, but permits everything. Rebels in the flow of coming and going allows it all to arrive, to find a home, and then in its own time to move along. Theologians have made much of this personification of wisdom we find in the Old Testament. Sophia, the wisdom of God, has from early days of the church been identified with the word of God, wisdom of God and the word of God. The word of God made flesh in the person of Jesus. And the Byzantine Hagia Sophia was dedicated as the church of the holy wisdom uh, in the year 537. Others argue divine wisdom better tracks to the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the world, or to the magnificent self-surrender of Mary, mother of God. What is clear is that holy wisdom, wisdom personified, is not just a figure of speech. She is a rendering of our personal God, the one who is always seeking us out. Wisdom is radiant and unfading. She is easily discerned by those who love her and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who rises early to seek her will have no difficulty, for she will be found sitting at the gate. So if you're waiting for biblical warrant to image God as a woman, there you have it. Uh, ultimately, the divine reality escapes all our human constructs and categories. It explodes every binary we try to impose. The infinite can't be constrained by the finite, right? So better to have a multiplicity of metaphors and images and names, each showcasing a facet of this diamond. And yet these many diverse scriptural accounts converge on this image of God as one who desires us and pursues us, who wants very much to be in relationship with us, to win our hearts to love freely. She is always going ahead of us to seek us out, turning up outside our homes, knocking at the gate, waiting for us with insistent and interminable patience, a bit more patient than the average 15-year-old or 50-year-old, for that matter. So God comes to meet us in our longing and in our yearning. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. Desire for God uh, as a felt experience is not always so sweet. Doubt can be a form of desire for God, the living God beyond childish props. A crisis of faith may be the eruption of a desire for God, coming rockily to the surface. Doubts and questions, these crises when fully inhabited, not run from or pushed away, can acquaint us with our yearning and our longing for God. 
So try to resist that temptation to swallow platitudes like antacid pills, as if that tug toward maturity of faith and genuine trust in the living God were some form of spiritual indigestion. This is serious stuff. It can be extremely painful to feel and permit that full extent of our longing for God. Many are the modes by which we try to dull that ache. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Perhaps we choose the slower death of propriety, well-performed, succeeding in mild consumer aspirations until we forget we ever wanted anything in the first place. Yet there is an answer to our desire if we dare to live in it. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. Dare to live in that yearning, in those questions, letting our seeking hearts reach out in earnest longing. And we find that wisdom has been seeking for us since the beginning. Finally, having ventured outside ourselves to look, she will be found sitting at the gate, right there, having been waiting for us, calling to us through each moment of our lives, as we can recognize for the first time. I remember right uh, before I went uh, for a summer, uh, I, went, I went to South Africa for a summer on an ill-fated study abroad uh, after my sophomore year of college. Um, and that, there was one week between that spring semester and the summer term uh, that sort of called a brief intermission on the great drama that was my life at 19. Uh, I was staying with an older and wiser friend. She gave me a safe place to land. She let me lean on the giant trash tree in her backyard that had just grown huge and magnificent. We cooked out of the co-op box. She gave me books to read. She told me I was going to be okay eventually. Uh, more or less true. Uh, <laughs> and walking back and forth to the coffee shop every day where I was trying and failing to do all my late schoolwork, I looked up from the sidewalk and tried and failed to pray. Speaking to the sky, playing divine phone tag, that was my idea of prayer. And I felt I was failing because my attempts to make an absent God be present didn't seem to be working. Walking back to Ashley's one day, I had finally hit my limit. I couldn't play that game a minute longer. I remember erupting, I give up. I can't do this anymore. You'll have to call me. <laughs> Tag, you're it. And in my despair at the time, I thought that this giving up was a form of unfaith. Um, and actually, I understand it now as an extremely gracious moment of surrender, uh, marking the sh shift away from God as an object I was anxiously trying to control. I had to live with the longing. And eventually, in that longing, I found the living God seeking me out long before I ever looked. God had survived me. She didn't depend on me. Uh, she graciously appeared to me in my paths met me in every thought, whether I was looking or not. And that made her someone who could actually be trusted, be trusted with this desire and longing. Establishing the trustworthiness of God is, I think, the basic foundation-laying spiritual task. Uh, 
Only an absolutely trustworthy God is worthy of our absolute surrender. Is this God someone I can trust? This has to be inquired into for each of us. In the felt particulars of your own life, with your own embodied history, is this God someone I can trust? As Christians, we inquire into the trustworthiness of God by looking to Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the one who shows us the Father. Looking to the person of Jesus, what does he show us of the character of God? This man who eats with sinners, argues with authorities, heals the sick, tells such strange parables, lovingly crosses every form of no-go border patrol we human beings have tried to set up. The wisdom of God, the word of God, graciously appearing in the path of ordinary people like you and me, meeting us in every thought, in every moment. And about that strange parable, the kingdom of heaven is like ten bridesmaids, Jesus says. Ten bridesmaids waiting around for the party to really get going. Five of the bridesmaids are foolish, five of them are wise, but leaning on the fence, not so attentive to the coming and going of things, they all of them fall asleep and wake only at the sound that the time has come at last. Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. This is their moment, to light the way for the bridal procession with their lamps. But they've been waiting so long, they're out of oil now. The wise maidens trim their lamps with the extra they brought, but at this pivotal time, the foolish maidens rush off to a market that closed hours ago scurrying to make themselves acceptable as they try and fail to do their job as members of the wedding party. The wise maidens, it must be said, are somewhat snotty as they refuse to share, uh, leading us to speculate that this oil uh, must be something internal that can't be shared even if you want to, right? Oil as faith, and faith not as propositional truth, but as relational trust, the courage to wait and wait for the bridegroom and still know him when he arrives, to trust in that one we know is coming instead of running off in do-it-yourself fear. Another way you could say it is that the wise maidens stick with their desire for God and light their lamps by it. Their wisdom is the restraint, not to dampen their desire for God in the gap, in the painful absence they experience in the bridegroom's delay. Oil or no oil, ultimately, I think, the foolish maidens are foolish because they leave, just as the party is starting. The only way to miss it is to get up and walk out. The bridegroom doesn't know them because they don't know him. They think he cares more about throwing the right kind of flower petals and getting the sparklers just right for an Instagram-worthy send-off at the end of the night. Cares more about that than celebrating with his friends. All this from a man hours late to his own wedding. So the beginning of wisdom is simply to stay. To stay in the place of waiting, stay in the place of desire and longing, painful as that may be at times. Holy wisdom will meet you there. As the crisp days are getting shorter and Advent starts to assert itself, 
It's good to remember that as we watch for the baby to be born, we also watch for God's future coming in power and great glory, and we watch for the million small ways God comes to us in the present. An Advent that is both coming soon and already here. Yes, God is coming to us in the future, and God is also coming to us in this present moment. Practicing wisdom is being faithful to these million small advents right now, and faithfulness to our desire for God, faithfulness to stay put in longing and waiting. Our gracious God will come to you, bigger than any of your ideas about her, more lively than any concept you may struggle to wrap your mind around. The moment you turn to look for her, there she is. She will be found sitting at the gate. Wisdom is radiant and unfading. She is easily discerned by those who love her and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. Amen.